Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. My name is Aaron Varner. I have the great privilege of being uh, the senior pastor here at West Hill. It's an opportunity for us this morning to open God's Word. If you would, take your Bibles with me and open to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, as we continue to unpack this book, um, excited to share with you this morning uh, uh, a bigger passage as we walk through it. Um, but actually, um, I just forgot, I just looked at my notes. I'm going to read two sections from the Old Testament this morning. And uh, part of the reason why is the text that we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 13 is, uh, is a passage where Paul and Barnabas are, are going to the church, uh, going to the Jewish synagogue, and they are invited to speak. And they're invited to speak, we'll see in the text in, in Acts, they're invited to speak after the reading of the law and the prophets. And so there are some scholars that... Uh, um, believe the two passages that I'm going to read for us in the Old Testament are the two passages that were read on that day. So part of it is, is because of Paul's arguments or his sermon um, that he's going to give, okay? And he's going to talk and give reference to these two passages of the law and the prophets. And that's generally the way it happened. When you would go into the synagogue, there would be the reading of the law and the prophets, and then there would be um, a word of affirmation that would go on. And they were asked, Paul and Barnabas were asked to give that word. And so I, I want to read these two passages. So we'll start in Deuteronomy. So if, if you flip back or forward or however you need to go or click a few buttons, um, Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where we're going to start in verses 25 through 46. It'll also be up on the screen but I encourage you, if you do have your Bible, that you follow along with me. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 through 46. Um, let's, let's read this, if you would follow along. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you amongst the people, peoples, and you will be left few in number amongst the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which are, were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. 
Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of, of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Out of the heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, You heard, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of, the, out of Egypt with his own presence and by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. You know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being in, at enmity with him in time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statues, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, beyond the Jordan, in the valley opposite of Bethor, in the land of Shion, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. Now take with me, if you would, flip over to 2 Samuel, and here is the Haftarah, or the prophets, passage of the prophets that we're going to look at, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 16. 2 Samuel 7, 6 through 16. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzziah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, Then that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. 
So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord and shouted, and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, flip to the book of Acts. Acts 13. Let me remind you that you may like to hear my words, but there is nothing more powerful than the word of God. So if you don't hear anything else I say, I hope you heard the word of God, and I hope that you take what you're hearing here in the book of Acts as well. So Acts chapter 13, we're looking at verses 13 through 52. We'll read it, and then we'll come back, and we'll kind of digest it a little bit and see, break it down, unpack it. So Acts chapter 13 Verses 13 through 52. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, hey, that's what we just did, Okay. So after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand. He said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, whom will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which they read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no, in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to them who had come up from 
come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it, is, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles." that you may bring salvations, salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of high standings and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook all the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it, Lord, as we've already just read. Lord, your word, it is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I pray, Lord, that the words that we've read will ring true in our hearts and our minds that we'll take them and that we'll continue to, to chew on them and devour them. And Lord, that, that, that it would be alive in us, not only in this time, in this place, but as we, as we walk forward, Lord, in our lives. This isn't just a book that we read. These aren't just somebody's sayings that are good wisdom. This is your word, Lord, that comes from you. You've given it to us, and it is a gift. And I pray that you would take your word this morning, help us to understand it better, and how we can live it out and live out the truths and how you desire for us to walk with you so that we may be a light to those in our world. 
We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. A lot to cover. I almost don't have to preach because you just heard a sermon. But I'm going to preach anyway, okay? Is that all right? Some of you are like, mm, I'm already done. Let's walk through this. Paul and Barnabas, um, and I have a, a picture of a map that Hannah's going to put up. And, and so this just helps you to see where they were and where they're going. Um, so um, there's a starting point there. And, and you, you may say, well, we were talking about the church in Antioch. So there's two different cities of Antioch. And I actually looked it up. You know that every state that borders us, almost every state, I looked in Pennsylvania, uh, New York, Indiana. I know New York doesn't border us, so those of you going to correct me. There's, an, there's other Akrons, just as there are other Akrons, all right, villages, cities. There were different cities of Antioch. And so Antioch, they leave Antioch. Paul and Barnabas are commissioned to go out. They go to the island of, of Cyprus. Uh, we, we saw last week where they started on that east coast, and they moved to the west coast, and then they move into um, Perga, and they move up north into the church that is up in Antioch, actually the synagogue where God will um, create a church there. And so as they go throughout, that's their stop. They'll move, as we see at the end of this chapter, um, over to Iconium, and then they'll, they'll go down to Lystra and Derby, and then they'll go back and follow back, they'll backtrack as they go back to and then report to the church in Antioch. All right, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of picture of where they are. So Paul and his companions set sail from um, Paphos, which is on the west coast of, uh, of, of the island, and they come to Perga, which is the port city. They move from the port city, and, uh, and they go up north into Antioch in Poseidia. And so there's a note here that in verse uh, 13 that John uh, has left them. He returned to Jerusalem. Um, we're going to hear a little bit more about John Mark and some of the, the, the inside scoop. Um, it's interesting here that Luke doesn't go into that. I think Luke wants to keep the focus where uh, on the message, the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. And so, um, but he does make note of that and almost to direct us in the future to, to see that. So we'll remember that as we, as we go forward and as we look back. Uh, verse 14, they went from Perga, they came to Antioch and Poseidon, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. So what probably has happened is they've gone into the city of Antioch, um, and in that city they've, they've gone around throughout the week, but when it comes to the Sabbath, it says they go into the synagogue, and it goes to what I have said I think I believe I said it last week or the week before, where as Paul and Barnabas and even Peter, as they're going and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, they first take the message to the synagogue, to the Jews. And so that's where they will first proclaim the message. And that will speak into when we finish today in, Act, in Romans chapter 1, uh, what Paul says. And so they're reading, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the two passages that we read uh, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message. They sent a text message back then. No, it was a tablet that they wrote down and then they sent it to the back. Maybe they threw a rock or maybe there was a pigeon they sent. But anyway, they sent word back to Paul and Barnabas who were part of this. Um, hey, come, 
come and speak to us. Now, the reason why that, that is important and why I even said, I think that they've been in, in the community before this Sabbath day. They know Paul and Barnabas. They've heard word of who they are. They've heard word of especially Paul because his name's Saul and who he was underneath the, the great uh, leader uh, of, the, of the law, of the, the, the religious leaders of that time, Saul studying underneath him. Um, and so that word has traveled. And as they've gone out during the week, now it comes the day of Sabbath. They've gathered in the synagogue. And so they, they know they're there. And so they invite them to come. And, uh, and so they come up and, and they share. And so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, kind of like, okay, here we go. Men of Israel, the way he addresses them at first is going to be different than the way he dresses them a little bit later. Very formally, men of Israel and you who fear God. And so those who are Jews and those who are there who are not Jews, but have taken to the Jewish faith. And, uh, and so men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, choose. He chose our fathers. And so um, there's a couple of things as we walk through this that Paul's going to do. And it's, it's kind of laid out into seven periods of historical review. And so Paul's going to take seven points of the history of the Jews and, and God's dealing with Israel. And so that they, they are um, aware of it and confronted with it. But part of what he will do is he is using what they just heard in the law and the prophets, and he's going to help it come alive for them. And, and so the first thing that he does is there is an election or there's a choosing of the patriarchs. And so we, we see this in Exodus 6, 6 through 7, and we also see it in Deuteronomy 4, verse 37. Deuteronomy 4, verse 37 is what they've just read, that it was God choosing all right, and so that's critical and important for us in our faith because we believe that there is a God who is supreme overall. All right, and we can trust Him because we believe He is a good God, but God ultimately chooses. We may not agree or like that. You need to agree with that God makes choices, that ultimately God chose the patriarchs, He chose who He was going to single out, He chose Abraham. All right, just as he chose, I hope and pray he chose you for eternal life. He chose me. How do I know that? Because I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. And so this historical review starts off very quickly. Paul is going to get to the point that it is God who chooses. So God has chosen God of this people, Israel, who you follow. He chose our fathers, and he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And so the second point is, in Egypt and in the Exodus, we see God's mighty power. And so God is actively working amongst his people. And so that's, that's the seventh, or second period of these seven periods that Paul is addressing. He says in verse 18, And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. 
And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And so the third period is that he put up with Israel in the wilderness. I love this because uh, it, it kind of loses a little bit of, uh, of meaning as we look at this translation of being uh, put up. But I want to read to you from Deuteronomy 1 because I think um, Paul is addressing um, this putting up. He uses the same ter- terminology that Moses writes in Deuteronomy verses 1, verse 31. And it says, In the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. So we, we can kind of lose a little bit like, okay, God put up with you. Like I have to put up, let me rephrase that. My wife has to put up with me. All right. Sometimes we think like, oh yeah, God put up with, no, When we look at Deuteronomy 1, verse 31, it's that same terminology that Paul is using here in Acts 13. God carried them as a man carries another man or a man carries his son. Like I would carry around little Zachary when he was a child, when he was unable to walk as far and to be able to complete the task. Israel was that, that God carried them. He didn't just put up with them because he had to. God carried them. And it shows the character of our God, that he loved Israel. And so um, putting up with Israel is that third uh, period where they're in the wilderness for these 40 years. God is carrying them. Again, the focus is not on the Jews. As Paul's addressing them and sharing this sermon in the synagogue, it's not about the Jews. It's about God. It's about God's actions, about God's powers, about God's choosing, about what God is doing. And so we see this very clearly in that, that God would carry them as a people. So he destroyed the nations. Verse 19, it says, And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And so this is the next, the fourth period, is a conquest of Canaan. And so we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verse 1, as God provides for Israel the, out of these seven nations. And so Deuteronomy 7, 1 gives us a clear picture of that. The Jews in the synagogue would have known exactly as Paul's addressing these different historical issues. They're following right along. It's harder for us because we're not Jewish and we don't have that background. It's not the way we're, we're taught and the way that, that are, are bringing up But they understand as Paul addresses, hey, remember the land, the land of Canaan and the seven nations that God drove out? Remember that? Oh, yeah, Deuteronomy. In the law, it says these are the nations. They're all the ites, right? The Hittites, the Asherites, and all that. And it may not, I might not have got those right, but. If you Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, it addresses that. And so Paul is just reminding them of this is a historical period, and he's leading up to um, his main emphasis. And so the fourth part of this, uh, the fourth period is the conquest of Canaan. After they get into the land, it says, uh, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And so um, they have judges 
God gave them judges. This word here, uh, as you look at it uh, in your text, it may say judges um, or deliverers. This word is actually seen as a savior. All right. He, God gave them saviors. And so when you start looking in Judges 3, verses 19 and 15, um, what, we, what helps us to know what Paul is talking about in Judges 3, here these judges were given as saviors for Israel. Again, this is no accident of what Paul's doing and how he's using his terms. This term savior is leading to the savior, the one who is going to save their, the people from their sins, Israel, the Jewish nation. So he's leading in, in, in that, and his terminology here is really, really important. Verse 24, or, or verse 21 says then, then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Um, so uh, seventh period or fifth period of historical review was God gave them judges or deliverers. The sixth is this reign of Saul. And Saul, it's interesting as, as Paul is talking about this, he doesn't just say uh, Saul, the man of or, or the son of Kish. He also gives another phrase, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. Why is that important? This is important because where is Saul's heritage from? Paul, Saul Paul, the one who's speaking. His heritage is from the line of Benjamin. And so I think he puts this phrase in here purposefully so that the, his hearers can understand as he's talking about Saul, he's not just dissing him. God had a purpose and a plan and that even he was part of that. And so as we see this, he, he talks about um, Saul and how ultimately he was there for 40 years. And then verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, whom will do all my will. And so when we look at this, we see six, the sixth period is the reign of Saul for those 40 years. The seventh is then the appointment of David as the king. This phrase that he gave, all right, he gave them David. Um, ultimately, it means he raised up says, he raised up David. This same word uh, and phrase will be found in verse 30 and verse 37 as Paul continues his later, later sermon um, and his discussion. He's going to use this same term, just as God raised up David, so God will raise up Jesus. He will raise up Jesus from the dead. Again, as we read it, it's hard to see this connection. But when you start looking and digging in a little bit, Paul's making a connection here that David is leading to Jesus. That ultimately David is the model and the type of ruler sent by God. And that means that the promised Messiah is coming. It's coming through the line of David. And ultimately what he's going to say in verse 23, Jesus is the promised Messiah. So verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to who? 
Israel. Just as it was said in verse, uh, verse 17, so it's now said again in verse 23, and it'll be said in verse 24, Paul's very pointed in who the Savior has been brought to. It's been brought to Israel. Of this man's offspring from David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of who? Israel. All right? Today's sermon is a focus on the Jewish people. Paul's sermon is to those who are non-Jewish who are there, but he's really making an emphasis and point to the Jews. He says, hey, remember, remember John? And I loved it, Andrew reading this morning. It ties in perfectly. Remember John the Baptist? You guys, you guys were around. You heard what he said. This is what he said. When John was going along, he proclaimed a baptism, verse 24, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finished his course, was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. Because some people thought that he was the Messiah. And he's saying, no, I'm calling you to repentance. And this was John's call. And this comes from, uh, I just want to read you a little uh, excerpt from, from a commentary. And it helps us understand the Jewish context. John called people to repent and to be immersed in water as an expression of their repentance. He summoned the Jewish people to turn away from ignorance and guilt, to confess their sin, to give up their wickedness and their evil. Ultimately, he was calling to the people of Israel, those who were devout and those who were lackadaisical, to turn from their sin. When it comes to the point where some come to John and say, hey, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. And notice what he says about the Messiah, though. Behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So even the minute little thing of untying his shoe, he says, I'm, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. Who is this? This is Jesus. Now Paul uses an address that is very endearing. It's more intimate. He says this in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Remember, what, what has Paul and Barnabas been, been asked to do? It says, if you have words of encouragement, um, come and share it. Back up in verse 15. So here's the message. The message is building upon the law and the prophets that they've already read. He's taking that history and he's trying to unpack it and uncover it. And he says, listen, the message of salvation is this. For those who live in Jerusalem, verse 27, and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Luke 23, 21. 
When Pilate comes out and says, I have found no fault in him, what do they proclaim? And they get the crowd roused up and they say, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 29, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. What's interesting is the things that were written about Jesus were written thousands of years before he ever came. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy, but he is more than just the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the savior of the world. Verse 30, God, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Do you remember the beginning of Acts? And what Jesus says to those disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul is saying, Jesus rose from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. He appeared to us and we are his witnesses. And I'm here telling you today that this is the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He has fulfilled what you just read in the law and the prophets. He is the one who is able to forgive you of your sin. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. So Paul has said what I just told you, but then he's going to give reference to the psalm, Psalm 2, which is the only place in all of the New Testament that reference to a certain passage in the Old Testament. So this is critical because it names it Psalm 2. He says this, Today you are my son, or you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This confirms. This makes it so as they're sitting and listening in the synagogue, there is no shadow of a doubt that Paul is saying, Jesus, Jesus is God's son. And he's going to go on and he says, as far as the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. And he says, Isaiah 55, 3, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David, which then goes referencing Isaiah 55, 3, references 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, which we just read because it was part of the law and the prophets, which when you start to see this, isn't this pretty cool? It gives me goosebumps. Like, isn't this exciting? Some of you are sitting there like, just tell me what to do. It's not about doing. It's about seeing that our God is so awesome and that the message of salvation is so intricately detailed that we can follow along and see that there truly is a God who loves us and who sent his son Jesus to this earth and that ultimately Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead and he conquered sin and death and he is alive today and he is, he is waiting in heaven until God's perfect plan and his timing is complete and then he will return. He will call us home and he will set his kingdom but before he sets his kingdom, he will judge. 
Paul wants them to know. Verse 35, therefore, he says also in another psalm, which is Psalm 16, verse 10, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. This is the same thing that Peter emphasized in Acts chapter 2, verses 27 through 31. The Jews must have struggled with this passage in Psalm chapter 2 because they struggle with, with David because David, if Psalm chapter 2 is all about David, then David has died. And this word corruption, this, this term that says he's died and his body has decayed. And Peter in Acts chapter 2 and now Paul in Acts chapter 13 is teaching in the synagogues and helping them to understand this isn't about David. And so in verse 36, he says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. It's the same term that, that Paul uses earlier where God raised up David. Okay, David's not the one fulfilling Psalm chapter 2. No, it's another one that God has raised up, and it's Jesus. Jesus was raised up, and he did not see corruption. Verse 38 is, is the pinnacle of his sermon, and so this is how he ends it. Let it be known to you, therefore, he says, after all that I've made evidence of, let me say this, that through this man, who? Jesus. He is the son of God and the son of man. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. As the Jews would come and give their sacrifices, there would be a limited atonement. They would come and offer their sacrifices, but they were never going to be good enough. What the law couldn't provide, this man provides for you. He provides justification. He says, verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. He warns them. Are you going to listen? Or are you going to miss it? Some of the people got it. Verse 42 says, And then he went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. It was like an enlightening. They had read the prophets and the law before, but here there is something different in this day. Paul and Barnabas, as they share, there's, there's an enlightening to understand who this Jesus is and how he was the fulfillment of what the law and the prophets were teaching them. So much so that they're so excited and they're like, we, we want you back. You got to come back next week. 
verse 43, and after the meeting in the synagogues broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. They didn't urge them to continue to follow the law. They urged them to continue in the grace of God. The grace of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath comes. Next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. It's interesting here that Luke doesn't tell us that they were back in the synagogue. I think that's because the synagogue would have been limited in space. I think this was out in an in in area where a lot more people could have heard the message. And so as they're out and Paul is sharing the word, it says, but when the Jews, verse 45, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. They're, they're doing the same thing that he warned them not to do in verse 41. But look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a good work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you the message is too good to be true, isn't it? Well, I'm telling you today, the message of Jesus Christ is not too good for you. It's not good, too good to be true. It is the truth. Paul and Barnabas, verse 46, spoke out boldly. We need a little bit of boldness today, don't we? We need to speak boldly. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying... I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed. So Paul makes it very clear, hey, we had to come to you first, the Jews. But you've rejected it. And because of that, we're going to the Gentiles. And Luke helps us to see that their message doesn't fall on deaf ears. There are those today and still today in our time whose ears are ready to hear the gospel message if we will share it. The Gentiles heard it. And as many as God had appointed, they believed. Luke is again emphasizing it is God who does the work of salvation. We just get to share it. God does the saving. It's not up to you and I. God does the choosing. Aren't you glad he does? Aren't you glad that he is sovereign? That he knows it all? I'm glad it's not left up to me. And some of you I greatly love and respect, but I'm glad it's not up to you either. I'm glad it's up to a holy and righteous and just God who knows exactly what he's doing. And he has a perfect plan. The, Lord, the word of the Lord, verse 49, as we finish, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standings and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And drove them out of their district. L listen, 
This is going to happen. It happened here, and I've said it before. It is going to happen to us. As we share the gospel message, the gospel message is offensive. God's word tells us that. If you are anything like me, you don't want people to be offended by you. You want people to like you. You don't want to put a barrier between you and somebody else. I will tell you, as we live our lives, the gospel message will still be offensive, just as it was for Paul and Barnabas. As Paul's sharing, he's saying, listen, brothers, those who we share the same father, Abraham, we are kindred. And yet they would still put that barrier. Why? Because the gospel message is offensive. This is a spiritual war that we take, that's taking place amongst us. We, we come, I hope that part of my life that I've adopted back a few years ago, I saw on the Christmas message, Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. I don't want to be too heavy on one or the other. I can't be the fullness of both, but I'm striving to be that. That my life lives in such a way that represents the truth, the truth of Jesus. But that also represents grace and understanding that we're all, we're all sinners. And that I'm no better than you and you're no better than me. But the fullness of the grace and truth come together. When they come together, we can hear the gospel message. We can proclaim the gospel message. And people can accept or reject that gospel message. And ultimately, if they turn us aside or reject us, we need to understand that's not about us. That's about Jesus. It's about their decision. God calls us to obedience. Do I love the do I love the approval of man more than I love the approval of God? Paul says, you thrust it aside. It was necessary for us to bring the word of God to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge for yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're going to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 Paul says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. Paul's living this out. So verse 51, they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. Ultimately, it was a display to say, okay, you've rejected it. It's not us, it's you. Now, ultimately, we're going to see in chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, they're going to return back, just like the map shows us. So this shaking of the dust isn't a long-term like, hey, we hate your guts and we're never going to talk to you again. Okay, this is an expression to say, okay, you're rejecting Jesus. And because of that, we're going to move on. And so as they did, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the word of God continues to move the word of God is continuing to move today, even in the midst of the pandemic, even in the midst of, of the sin and, and, and the, the, it is bad. It's hard for me to even come up with the terms when, when I see some of the things that I'm seeing today. I don't know if you saw the headlines, but there, there's, a, there's a movie out that just came out on, on, on one of the Netflix it's absolutely disgusting. 
It's flaunting young girls. We live in a world that continues to decay. Where Paul says in that first chapter of Romans, right after he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Where men are finding ways to sin. We're seeing that. But let me encourage you, do not give up. Do not grow weary. Do not get discouraged. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God has saved us. He's brought us into a relationship with him. And he desires for us to continue to live it out and continue to proclaim. And if people reject that, and if our world continues to decay, we are called to stay obedient. We are called and will give an account of how we lived our lives. Do not grow weary, folks. Do not Give up. Do not give in to the temptations that are laid before us. There's a spiritual battle that continues to go on all around us. That's why we need to pray and why Pastor Ed said what he said. That's why we're calling you to prayer. We need to seek the face of Jesus. And as you seek the face of Jesus... May it be true, just as it was of Paul and Barnabas, they are a light that goes out. We get to be a light. We get to be a light, not because we're something special. We get to be the light because something special has chosen us, Jesus. God has chosen us to hear the message of Jesus, and I hope and pray that you've accepted that message today. If you haven't, today, trust Jesus Trust Jesus, repent of your sin, turn from your sin and your disobedience and accept Jesus as your savior. To believe that he died on the cross for your sin, that he was buried and that he died and was three days after his burial, he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He conquered sin and death, something that no one has or ever will do. The perfect God man took our place and was sacrificed for our sin so that we could be justified, so that we could be declared right in God's eyes, so that we can have an eternal relationship with him. How are you living your life? Are you following him? Are you trusting him? Are you proclaiming that same gospel message that was proclaimed to you? Are you sharing that with others? Let me encourage you, don't do it by on, on your own flesh. Do it because you have a close walk with Jesus. Out of your walk with Jesus will flow the opportunities to share him. May we be bold and may we not be ashamed, just like Paul wasn't ashamed. And will we leave the results with the Lord? They're his. He's sovereign. He's in control. Will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for your word. I thank you that... You've allowed me to see your gracious gift, your work. And I pray, Lord, for those who may be listening now, I pray that they would not refuse God's gracious gift. I pray that they would trust Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah and the Savior of Israel. And he is our Savior as well. 
He is the Savior from our sin. Lord, I pray that no matter what takes place in our lives this upcoming week, we will not compromise our devotion and our faith to you. I pray that no matter what takes place in the, today and the coming days, I pray that you would help us not to be shamed of the gospel. No matter what shame or persecution that may come upon us, I pray for your strength. I pray for wisdom and discernment. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us your blessing as we continue to live out our faith for you. Help us to see the areas where we can share Jesus. Make the people very clear to us as we see them in our daily walk, in our daily life. And Lord, give us the boldness to share the hope that we have. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us eternal life. We pray this in your name. Amen.